Welcome to the Reconstructing Inclusion podcast. We're creating a space to speak truth and examine context in diversity, equity, and inclusion. That means creating a path forward for everyone to recognize the benefits of inclusion individually and collectively. I'm your host, Omri B. Johnson. I'm a Topeka, Kansas, USA-born, Switzerland-based epidemiologist playing the role of an inclusion, diversity, and equity practitioner for the past 20 years. I'm the author of Reconstructing Inclusion, Making DEI Accessible, Actionable, and Sustainable, and the CEO of the DEI-centered management consultancy, Inclusion Wins, creating culture from the hearts of individuals. Let's jump in. Hello, welcome to the Reconstructing Inclusion podcast. Let's get started. Don't call me Karen. Bo Young Lee, Ubers, Chief DNI Officer, is now on administrative leave for the title of the sessions that I mentioned above. What's interesting about this? Let me start with something that's a little off topic. This is not about sports. This is about something more significant. I'm shouting out to Coach Darren Roberts around his iconic hashtag, this is not about sports. Darren Roberts tells stories about sports figures while brilliantly relating them to things we can all learn and learn about ourselves and life. He illuminates how we move through this planet as flawed beings living this human experience. My foray into using Coach Roberts' framing is using the story of a sports figure to talk about something else. So in the 1980s and early 90s, an athlete named Bo Jackson. I saw Bo at the 1986 Cotton Bowl when my high school band played in the parade. In fact, it was the first of two times that the Topeka High School Trojan Band marched in the Cotton Bowl parade and attended the game. The second time, by the way, I got to see NFL Hall of Fame quarterback Troy Aikman of the UCLA Bruins, later of the Dallas Cowboys, and subsequently a Super Bowl champion. That's a little bit of a tangent. I'll probably have a few of those. And currently, Troy Aikman's a sports commentator, I think on Fox Sports now. Back to Bo Jackson. Bo Jackson was a fantastic two-sport athlete. He was the only athlete in North American Major League Sports history to be an all-star in two sports. He was an all-star in football, and he was an all-star in baseball. So I got to see him in both football and baseball. I saw him when he was still in Auburn as a college player, and then I saw him as a baseball player when I was growing up because he played for my home team, the Kansas City Royals, the team I grew up watching. He came to the Royals about a year after we won our first of two World Series championships that I've seen in my lifetime. Bo Jackson was a hero of mine. So I went out as soon as they came out, as soon as I could convince my parents to buy the Bo Jackson Nike cross trainer shoes that became the kind of the prototype for cross trainer shoes. Bo had a vast Nike contract and he did these really, really cool commercials. The commercials were known for the phrase, Bo knows. 
They featured Bo Jackson in a variety of sports attire. The script would say something like, Bo knows football, Bo knows baseball, Bo knows tennis, Bo knows hockey, Bo knows race car driving, Bo knows basketball. You can get the idea, or you can look them up on YouTube by typing in Bo knows if you're curious. There were very famous commercials, at least in the U.S., but in most cases, there were other globally recognized athletes, including Michael Jordan, Wayne Gretzky, who, by the way, was clear that Bo didn't know hockey in his ad appearance, along with many others who were in various professional sports who would also appear on these ads. One of the particularly cool ads that I really liked was one where he was on stage with legendary blues guitarist Bo Diddley. And so Bo is going through all these sports and all the people, all the athletes are saying Bo knows this and Bo knows that. And then Bo gets on stage with Bo Diddley and he starts playing the guitar and he's pretty horrible. <laughs> like someone who's never played or practiced the guitar for any meaningful period. And Bo Diddley says, Bo, you don't know Diddley. Hold on to that for a second. I'm going to talk about Another bow in a second, but before I do that, I want to talk about two companies and some similarities in their history. Both of these companies, Uber and Apple, had founders who dropped out of college and who were born and grew up in California, state of California, United States. Steve Jobs was born in San Francisco and grew up in that area, the Bay Area. He left Reed College in 1972. In the biographies that I've read, he felt that it was a waste of his parents' money. He didn't want to be there. It was expensive. They couldn't afford it. Travis Kalanick, Uber's founder, was born in Los Angeles. He dropped out of UCLA in 1998 and started working for a tech company. Similar to Jobs, he had opportunities with early companies in the tech game. Jobs had early jobs with video game and computer pioneers after he left college. And before that, he had an internship at age 13 that was given to him by Bill Hewitt, who was one of the founders of Hewlett Packard. So they were both in the tech ecosystem in California, jobs mostly in San Francisco. Eventually, Kalanick came to San Francisco to the Bay Area. Both of them were well known in the tech space at a young age. Jobs was known to be pretty caustic as an executive. He was brilliant. And so a lot of times he was tolerated and feared. Most accounts of Kalanick are framed similarly. Kalanick was forced out of Uber as CEO toward the end of 2017 after many stories and complaints about his behavior, including sexual harassment. He remained on the board until 2019. Uber's current CEO, Dara Khosrowshahi, started in 2017. Prior to the advent of the iPod and iPhone's rise as we know them today, Jobs was also forced out of his CEO role at Apple. This was in 1985. He eventually came back 12 years later. I imagine if we had had the social media buzz that we have today, Jobs might not have come back. Now, most companies hide things. Bad behavior is not 100% preventable, and when combined with power, 
it's difficult to prevent and to rectify without potential or real harm to the firm, at least short term. This doesn't make it right. Now, there's not a great deal of data I've read about jobs and sexual harassment, but he was open in talking about his sexuality according to his daughter Lisa's memoir, and it's possible that some of that brazenness trickled into the workplace. So two companies, one is an iconic brand in the area of personal electronics, the other a disruptor in transportation. Both had pretty intense and well-known founder CEOs. Apple had Steve Jobs. He wasn't the most delightful of human beings. What he created at Apple makes all the excuses, again, relevant, but not justified. Of course, he brought us these iPhones that we use every day. Nonetheless, he was still toxic. Kalonic was pretty toxic. Well, not pretty. He was very toxic as well. He was ousted. He's no longer part of the company today. Uber's current CEO and Apple's current CEO, Tim Cook, were both handpicked by their respective company founders and are very different personalities from their founding CEOs. They're more measured and calm. You know, they're long haul guys that are looking to keep the company stable. And in the case of Uber CEO, the new one, Dara Khosrow Shahi, he had to come in and he had pressure to quickly take care of some pretty intense things, particularly Kalonic's behavior and the reputational risk that came as a part of that. There were significant reputational risks that he had going into being Uber new CEO. So you have to understand his context. He had to fix major issues. It wasn't that long ago. He just managed the company through a pandemic. I imagine his theme song is the James Brown song, Static, with the much quoted line, don't start none, won't be none. I made this comparison to Apple because in 2017, Apple's chief diversity officer, Denise Young, and I wrote about this in various places, including my book, Reconstructing Inclusion. I've also written posts and made videos about it. And so the story goes, Denise Young, a black woman, 20-year Apple veteran, became the chief diversity officer at Apple. She's on a panel in Bogota, Colombia, and she says, if there were 12 white men on stage here, they would be diverse. Her specific quote. And I've often told people a story. There could be 12 white, blue-eyed, blonde men in a room, and they're going to be diverse too. Because they're going to bring a different life experience and life perspective to the conversation. The issue is reputation and mix and bringing all the voices into the room that can contribute to the outcome of any situation. So, as she said, I focus on everyone, but I focus on allies and alliances because, to the other panelists' point, there's an incredible amount of power in those who have platforms or those who have the benefit of greater representation to tell the stories of those who do not. And as you can hear in this passage, she explains that all of us are diverse. Our identities are plural. And, you know, all of our identities are constantly changing. So there's a lot there. Now, 
she got heavily criticized on social media for what she said. People were like, oh, how dare you? It was primarily people who were very much about particular identities that are marginalized taking the center. And for her to say that, they felt took them out of the center or took the notion of their concerns out of the center and therefore negated a lot of the conversations they preferred. And critics' arguments extended to words like hers would be used as fodder for people to say, oh, you know, that's diversity too, or quote unquote, diversity of thought, blah, blah, blah. The result of her ordeal was that she had to resign. Now I said in my book, and of course other things I've shared, that maybe the outcome would have been different if Steve Jobs was still alive because he welcomed those situations, I recall. And he was okay with and pretty good at dealing with that kind of tension. Not everybody is. And when you're talking reputation, that becomes challenging. And sometimes you're talking about reputation, perhaps based on what a few people are saying, not necessarily the importance of what's possible from creating new conversations. So now let's talk more directly about Uber's case with Bo Young Lee. The Denise Young phenomenon is now happening to her. So Bo hosted and facilitated these Don't Call Me Karen dialogues. The media got a hold of some internal Slack posts and has written about what they've been able to uncover. It's relatively sparse. Uber has been pretty tight-lipped. I've read from a variety of sources. Multiple outlets have published similar stories, so I read through many of them. The stories are incomplete because Uber hasn't said much. Again, I'm going to say that a few times. Uber has said very little. However, the articles are relatively similar with no embellishment or opinion from what I've seen. So I have a lot of respect for that. There are really well-balanced articles from magazines and papers and media vehicles that could be considered more left and others more right, more center. All of them were pretty consistent. Conversely, <laughs> the social media sphere has jumped into it and onto it like we tend to. It's, it's been obviously of interest to DEI practitioners, particularly the social media DEI Illuminati, I like to joke. Some of those influencers have jumped into this and have stated their opinions. Very few have been balanced. I've appreciated the ones who've stayed out of commenting about Bo Young Lee's intentions and impact or character to any extent. Others I have openly disagreed with. I will likely share one of those conversations at another time. Here's the data from the various iterations of articles. First, the invite. Contact Daniel Camacho with any question on this event. RELC, I don't really know what that means, invites you to join our latest installment of the event series moving forward, where we will have an open and honest conversation about race. We will be diving into the spectrum of the American white woman's experience from some of our female colleagues, particularly how they navigate around the quote-unquote Karen persona. The panelists include Nikki Krishna Murthy, Chief People Officer, Mega Muspak, Eats General Manager, North Central, Kelly Seaman, Eats Senior Director, and Diane Creeman, DEI Director, as well as Bo Young Lee, Chief DNI Officer, 
who would moderate the conversation. All attendees will be entered into a raffle to win some great Uber swag. 25 lucky winners will be selected. We look forward to seeing you there. And it goes on to say there's a maximum capacity of 500 Zoom attendees that will be able to be served on a first come, first served basis. And they were recording the session. The articles go on. This is a summary. The first session was in April and inspired one complaint from a black female who called it tone deaf, offensive, and triggering. The timelines of some of the statements that I'm going to read below are unclear, but the second event happened on what I think was May 18th. So in response to the pushback and criticism, there must have been a dialogue. So in that dialogue, Bo Young Lee defended the decision, and this was according to the New York Times, telling a woman that while the conversation may have been uncomfortable, sometimes being pushed out of your own strategic ignorance is the right thing to do. Remember the word strategic ignorance. I'm going to talk about that for a second. Before I share other comments found via the articles online, Bo said something. Again, this notion of strategic ignorance is quite profound. I doubt people knew what she was talking about. Language is important, especially when emotions are high. So use the term strategic ignorance. What is strategic ignorance? Social science research explores how our minds push away information that gets in the way of our feelings and desires. Strategic ignorance intentionally avoids information that can unseat your plans, beliefs, and actions. We continually ignore these inconvenient truths to keep words in modus operandi intact. Of information we do have directly from Bo Young Lee's mouth, this statement is perhaps of the utmost importance. And what she said is potentially off-putting. So when she said, being pushed out of your own strategic ignorance sometimes is the right thing to do. It's quite incisive, but probably off-putting. Most people probably didn't hear her. Maybe they heard the words. Most people probably don't even know what she meant, including the so-called influencers on social media that are using this incident to be right or self-righteous about systemic racism. So Bo's statement might have been off-putting. It's profound. All of us need to be pushed out of our strategic ignorance. There is more to see, and many of us have had glimpses where our attachment to particular preference traditions and conveniences has us look askance or not look at all toward evidence to the contrary. But if we want to move the needle and create meaningful systemic change, we must look at evidence that we disagree with that's beyond our preferences, traditions, and conveniences. I'm going to read that paragraph again. You guys can take which one you want. All of us need to be pushed out of our strategic ignorance. There is more to see, and many of us had glimpses where our attachment to particular preference, traditions, and conveniences have us look askance or not look at all toward evidence to the contrary. But if we want to move the needle and create meaningful systemic change. We must. On May 18th, the company announced Lee had been placed on leave. Bo's response, maybe it was a defensive one. Maybe it was a clear one that landed uncomfortably for people, as a few said they felt preached at or to, not heard. Did Bo truly preach at them? Did Bo disagree and it occurred as such? Was Bo defensive in a way that shut people down? Did she say something that was true and struck a raw nerve? It's hard to know. 
at least not in any complete way. Uber's chief people officer said this, we have heard that many of you are in pain and upset by yesterday's moving forward session. Now I know that it was actually on May 17th where they had the second session. The chief people officer goes on. While it was meant to be a dialogue, it's obvious that those who attended did not feel hurt. Given that, Dara, the CEO, and I have asked Bo to step back and take a leave of absence while we determine next steps, said Krishnamurthy. The decision was celebrated on the Slack channels afterward, according to the articles. One article quoted people saying, Another worker in a Slack channel designated for Hispanic Uber workers slammed Bo for creating an event with programming that had anything to do with the K name and shared a screenshot of a tweet and denoting Karen as a racial slur that's used to dismiss and degrade white women. This person, I'm not quite sure the context of this, this is where it's a little confusing, was this person saying that Karen was a racial slur and we shouldn't even be talking about it? But there was another person that said, I think when people are called Karens, it's implied that this is someone who has little empathy to others or is bothered by minorities or others that don't look like them. There were some more screenshots. This was recovered by, obtained rather, by a reporter named Richard Hanania. Diana Jones, who I imagine is a Black at Uber ERG leader, she says, Black at Uber, family and allies, we know you all have received Nikki's email. We all know that this remains an emotional time for everyone. The Black at Uber board and our city champions are here to support our community and allies globally as we begin the process of moving forward. With this in mind, the Black at Uber board kindly requests that we come together in support of Dara, Nikki, Bo, and our Uber leadership team as they take the time necessary to determine the next best steps for our One Uber family. Hashtag One Uber family. We appreciate you all for your continued professionalism, discretion, and patience. That was from Diana Jones, who happens, I think, was probably a leader in the ERG. Another quote came. Just want to say a huge, huge thank you to the amazing ERG leaders, especially Black at who escalated Bo's behavior to Dara and made sure that our outrage didn't go unheard. Another quote was like, why can't bad behavior not be called out? So the sentiments were strong. And the reality is that we truly, really truly don't know what happened beyond the limiting parameters of the article. This could change soon, but as of this recording, it has not. The caveat has been with almost all of these articles, is that those of us reading these accounts don't know what happened yet. Yet, there are probably extreme opinions, but all of our views are being expressed in response to limited information. Should outrage of a few be the reason for shutting down dialogue? Do people perceive this as advancing DEI or social justice in organizations and organizational life? The same thing happened with Denise Young. Her entire quote was there, but we don't know the dialogue behind the scenes. And with Miss Young, people didn't truly reflect and reflectively read everything she said in the statement that got onto social media and got her in quote unquote trouble. Now people are saying, oh, you know, you need to be careful what you say. And I agree. I think Bo Young Lee, who arguably to me, one of the best in the game of chief diversity officers, particularly in major brands. Based on what I've read over time, I don't entirely agree with how she sees and does the work, but she's brilliant, she's skilled, she's mindful. 
And may I add that she's a staunch proponent of racial and social justice for marginalized people. There's probably, you know, a handful of chief diversity officers that have been in the game for some years that are stellar. Bo Young Lee is one of them. And a lot of people that know Bo, many who have been doing this work for quite some time could attest to that and would testify that Bo is one of the best. I know a handful that definitely would. Now, did Bo make sense with people? Did Bo do sense-making with enough people to understand how this might be received? Perhaps she did and maybe she didn't, but she at least must have done so with the chief people officer, the Uber Eats GM of North Central US, I'm assuming, the senior director of enterprise of Uber Eats, and Diane Creeman, a DEI director who happens to be on her team. If she did do sense-making with them, we don't know if she did sense-making with the Black at Uber ERG, the Hispanic ERG, or other ERGs or influential individuals. We don't know. If I were in the Black or Hispanic ERG, those of you that know me, if I were inside, would join all the ERGs, or at least be in community with them, I would have said to Bo, go for it. We need a jolt and some tension to grow. And maybe Bo was willing to take that risk. And maybe she felt like she had enough credibility, relationship and relatedness in the organization with the C-suite, with the board, et cetera, with the ERGs to take this journey because she felt like it was helpful and would open up a conversation involving a lot of the work they've already done around racial equity. So whether you agree with Bo's position in this or not, if you have taken an Uber in whatever place you live, or you've used Uber Eats, et cetera, in the past three or four years, you've likely benefited from Bo's work in your user experience with Uber. Uber had some issues with sexual harassment, even with drivers, and some problems with racism. And Bo was there in part to engage with that. I know my rides with Uber have been fantastic over the past few years of her tenure, and I'm sure some of you have seen positive changes in the user experience. So she's been a part of that. Of course, I'm larger than the average human, and some people might say, well, you're, you're a man. I've heard from some of my friends who are smaller that their experience has been pretty good and much more pleasant as well. And I've heard less of those reputational deans on Uber than I've heard in the past, even from people, again, who are considerably smaller in stature than myself. So Bo has had some cause in the matter there, whether you agree with what she decided to do with this particular forum or not. My point here is if you are influencing or piling on after by commenting on a DEI influencer's post, be mindful that you aren't necessarily helping DEI and you're not an ally for a practitioner doing stellar work at a major company. And these kinds of posts have probably been able to give some of these influencers opportunities to promote their businesses or to even make money, making money on the back of a single public mistake by a woman of color. That's not cool. I'm not one of those who believe impact is logarithmically more important than intention. The intention is essential. It's part of the complexity of being human. Our identities are important as well, but I don't think our identities are everything. Our identities and the lived experience through those identities are things that we use to make sense of the world with the so-called other, not instead of or against the so-called other. Are we willing to be influenced by that so-called other?
even in an event like Don't Call Me Carrot. Our emotions and feelings are real. They're also part of the human experience. And I also know that with that kind of passion or those emotions, you often need other perspectives to regulate or check them. And that's why we have to interact, make sense, be curious, ask questions, discover context, and enter into conversations that don't automatically go down the rabbit hole of wrongness and rightness. And right now, from what I can see, that's what's happening to Bo Young Lee. So as you make your comments and write your commentary in reaction to this story, know that the story by its nature, as most stories are, is incomplete. The context needs to be more robust. Let me say that again. The context needs to be more robust. We have yet to hear from Bo, but know that Bo's one of the best at what she does, whether you know her or not. And where this conversation needs to go is back into Uber to have some robust dialogues about the meaning of what has happened and what the organization can learn about it moving forward. That is Bo and everyone else. That is understanding Bo and her colleagues' intentions and understanding the impact. Then, understanding what's possible, learning from this breakdown. A deeper exploration holds the potential for new possibilities and learning in the organization. Maybe for not just Uber, but for all of us that have been exposed to this now as well. Perhaps that was even Bo's intention. So just like you don't know Bo, you don't know everything that happened. You don't know even the partial depth of this situation. You don't know the mindset that created the current state. You don't know Diddley about Bo. And so I hope we all choose humanity to engage with this situation. Otherwise, we miss an opportunity to go deeper, to go further and take this work to a place where we have yet to get to. And these types of situations can perpetually get in our way if we don't engage with them in a way that leads us to some place beyond just being in our kind of cycles of reincarnation that we've repeatedly been entering. So I hope that was helpful. Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Reconstructing Inclusion podcast. Also, if you haven't bought Reconstructing Inclusion, Making DEI Accessible, Actionable, and Sustainable, my book, please pick it up. We also have a Substack now under the name Reconstructing Inclusion. I'll be putting more content on that Substack before you know it. Make it a great day. Peace. If you are committed or simply a little bit curious about how to make DEI accessible to everyone, actionable, that is unambiguously prioritized and sustainable, aligned with personal and organizational purpose, hit the subscribe button. Make it a great day. Peace.